We're so privileged to gather together this morning to honor the God of heaven. We have quite a number of visitors visiting with us today. We're so thankful that you're here to honor the God of heaven with us on, as has been mentioned, is his day. Uh, And he has commanded us in his word in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 2 to honor your father and your mother. For this, the Bible says, is the first commandment with promise. And so when we honor fathers and mothers, we are honoring God because we are keeping his commandments. And that's what we're here to do today, to keep his commandments, to honor him. We'll also be talking about some about our mothers. God has blessed us so very richly. Many of you are here today. uh, Those who are visiting with us, perhaps because you're honoring a mother, but also honoring the Lord at the same time. And that's a good thing. In Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 31, the wise man long ago said, a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. And that's the way it should be. Well, I read about a second grade teacher who was teaching her class about magnets and how magnets work. And she had some magnets for the class to experiment with. And she had some iron filings out and she showed how the magnet picked up the iron filings and all of that and told them all about magnets one day in class and the next day she gave them a test and it was a test over all they'd learned the previous day and uh, one of the questions on the test went something like this my full my my full name has six letters the first one is m and i pick up things she was shocked when about 50 percent of the papers that were turned in had as the answer to that question not magnet but mother because mother picks up things. <laughs> and I guess, I guess that's how a lot of young ones think about their mother. She's the one who picks up things, you know, that I leave on the floor or whatever it might be. That kind of brings me to a, a, another thing I read the other day about kids love their moms, you know, universally. And on a day like today, the child always wants to give something to the mom. And I read about uh, this mother had a four-year-old and a six-year-old. And the dad took them out to buy a present for the mom uh, with their own money. They went to a florist and uh, they saw various things. But anyway, they, they gave the mom a, a, a very beautiful potted plant for Mother's Day. But the six-year-old kind of looks at and she said, that's not really what we wanted to get there was this beautiful bouquet of flowers at the florist shop. We really wanted to get that, Mom. It was this beautiful bouquet, and right across it, it said, rest in peace. <laughs> and, and you're always saying how you want some peace and quiet so you can rest, so we thought that would be, that would be perfect for you. We appreciate all that our children do to honor their parents and all of us who are grown should likewise honor our moms. Uh, they're worthy of that. question comes up, as is suggested the title of the lesson this morning, uh, what are you going to give your mother? What are you going to give her to honor her? Not just on Mother's Day, but every day, of course, mothers should be honored. And the question could be answered in different ways, and there are a lot of gifts that moms appreciate. I understand that any Good mother appreciates love being shown to her in any great variety of ways, especially on a day like today, and she'll be appreciative of that. But what does, you might notice the fine print here, what does your God mom want? What gift does she really want you to give her? 
not just today, but always. So that's what we want to think about this morning. What do godly moms really want? And I am sure, as I said, that heartfelt gifts and gestures of appreciation would also be wanted by godly moms. But if children knew what was in the heart of their God-fearing mother, and not all of us had God-fearing mothers, and some of us who did, those mothers are no longer with us. But that God-fearing woman, that woman who fears God, she should be praised and she should be honored and held up as an example. What do God-fearing mothers want? If we really knew their heart, we would know, of course, that the most precious gift that any child could ever give to a God-fearing mom is not what that child would give to her, but when that child gives himself and his heart to God. I believe that's what God-fearing mothers want most. There's a reason for that that we'll talk about when we get to the end of the lesson today. There's a reason that's what they want. There's a reason I know that's what they want. In fact, it's something that probably all moms really want, dead, living, godly or not, if they knew what they really wanted. But we'll talk about that when we get to the end of the lesson. I have a couple of things to talk about before we get there, though. I want to share with you what an ungodly mother wants, because there are some ungodly mothers in the world, hopefully not here uh, in the crowd this morning, but... Uh, there are some ungodly mothers in the world, and I think by way of contrast, this might help us understand what a godly mother wants. And I'm going to look at two queens from the uh, Bible, one in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament. Uh, the first one of them is Athaliah. Athaliah is an interesting character in the Old Testament, one of the wickedest women that you're going to read about. Uh, she was the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. Uh, just notorious bad people of the Old Testament. Well, Athaliah is their daughter. She is the granddaughter of Omri, who was the sixth king of Israel. She was married to Jehoram, who was a king of Judah. So here you have sort of a political marriage between the, the daughter of the king of Israel and the daughter of the king of Judah, who was Jehoshaphat. His son was Jehoram. And Athaliah and Jehoram marry. And so it's a royal wedding indeed. And we've gotten used to those from what goes on over, on over in Great Britain, right? But here's a, here's a royal wedding, uh, but of uh, some very despicable people, as we'll see in a minute. Athaliah, uh, when Jehoram was 32 years of age, he seceded to the throne of, uh, Judah. And so she became queen of Judah and was queen of Judah at this time, uh, ruling with her husband. She inherited her mother Jezebel's um, love for the Baals, the idol gods of the land, and she had a great devotion to the cult of the Baals. So here she is, an idolatress. Um, you might remember just before her, Elijah had wielded a great blow against idolatry and the Baal worship in uh, in Judah, in, in Israel especially, I should say. But all of that was probably undone by this person, Athaliah. Well, after eight years of royal life, Athaliah's husband uh, passed and she became a widow and her son, Ahaziah, 
being 22 years of age, ascended to the throne. So she became the queen mother. After a year, Ahaziah was killed. And so within a single year, she went from queen reigning with her husband to queen mother. And now, what's next? Well, many of you know the story. Some may not. <laughs> but what's next is that um, Athaliah decides that nobody else is going to rule Judah but her. And so we read in Second Chronicles chapter 2 and verse 10, that when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal heirs of the house of Judah. That would include, most certainly, some of her own children and grandchildren. Happy Mother's Day, right? <laughs> That's just, what a woman. What does she want? for her children and grandchildren. Well, she wants them to get out of the way, number one, because it's all about her. Right? She has this desire for personal exaltation and power for herself, and she's willing to sacrifice her kids and her grandkids to get it. I hope there's no mom like that amongst us today or anywhere in the land as far as that goes. From what we see in our culture once in a while, I think there are moms like that in our culture, unfortunately, who live for themselves, for whom everything, you know, centers, everything that goes on centers around them. Of course, if you know the details of this story, you know that one of her grandchildren did escape, was hidden by uh, Jehoshabeth. Um, Jehoash was his name, and he would eventually rise to the throne. But in the meantime, Athaliah takes the throne of Judah, a really strange circumstance in the history of Israel. She is the only woman to ever sit on the throne of David, if you will, usurper as such, and she reigned for six years. And it's really a testament to her evilness that she was able to hold on to the throne even for that long. In 2 Chronicles chapter 24 and verse 7, we gather that uh, during her reign, uh, a portion of the temple of the Lord was pulled down and material of it was used uh, to worship Baal with. Second Chronicles 24 and verse 7. The sons of Athaliah, that wicked woman, had broken into the house of God and had also presented all the dedicated things of the house of the Lord to the Baals. Let's take all of the stuff that belongs to God, that we honor God with, and let's dedicate all of that and use all of that to serving idolatry, to serving our pagan desires, our own invented religions that glorify not the God of heaven, but evil and ourselves. This is, this is Athaliah. In similarity to her, once you go over the New Testament a little bit, we'll look at another queen by the name of Herodias. Some will be a little more familiar with her story. John the Baptist was a preacher of righteousness. And because of that, Herod, the king of Judah, bound him in prison. Judea, I should say. Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John 
and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias. This is John Mark 6 and verse 17. Bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. So you have a brother marrying his brother's wife. That would be a definite no-no. But Herod arrests John, and here's the reason. Because John had said to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. That's a strong preacher right there. He's talking to a king. Therefore Herodias, whom John is condemning along with Herod, therefore Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. So here is, here is a, a woman, queen with Herod, and a man of God says something against her. She holds it against him. She, she's never going to forgive him. She's got a vendetta now. She's out to get him. She wants to kill him. There are women like that in the land, aren't there? You cross them. You're on their bad list. They're going to do everything they can do to get you. To hurt you. And what we learn of Herodias is she's willing to use her child to do that. She has a daughter. Um, secular history tells us her name is Salome. She goes on Herod's birthday and dances before the party there and so pleases Herod that Herod says, I'll give you anything up to half my kingdom. And so... Herodias' daughter goes to Herodias and says, what should I get? What should I ask for? And the text tells us that she asked for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. So a godly man loses his life because Herodias has a vendetta. A child is used, her child is used to bring that about, her vindictiveness. There's a lot of ways mothers can treat their children. They can be selfish and users of their children. But I want to tell you all this morning, and I think you all know this, the vast majority of moms aren't really that way. No godly mom is that way. I really doubt if we have any mother in this room that's that way. Because moms, even those who are not particularly godly, want the very best for their children. And people like Athaliah and Herodias are really aberrations in history. They're not typical moms. There are some like them. But they're not typical. And we recognize it, don't we? We read about Athaliah and we just cringe. And it makes our blood boil to think about a woman who could be so evil. And the same with Herodias as far as that goes. But they stick out because they're so unusual. Because that's not a mother. Certainly not one that God approves, but it's not one that hardly any of us wouldn't know anything about. So what does a godly mother want? Godly mothers want children that are dedicated to the Lord. One of the greatest stories in our Old Testaments along this line, at least, comes to us from the book of Samuel. In uh, the waning days of the judges, and Eli is the high priest, there was a woman by the name of Hannah. She was barren, had no children. Uh, her husband had two wives, and the other wife was able to have children, and this made Hannah feel especially um, sad. She was in bitterness of soul, the text says in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 10. And she prayed to the Lord and she wept in anguish. Talk about your 
house of prayer as she goes up to Shiloh to the tabernacle and she's praying. She made a vow and she said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. Here, here is the prayer of Hannah that, Lord, if you'll just give me a child, I will dedicate him to you all the days of his life. Many a godly woman would happily, happily make that kind of commitment. Lord, if you'll give me a child, Lord, thank you for the child you gave me. I'm happy to give my child to you all of his days. That he would serve you first. That he would be wholly dedicated to honoring and glorifying you, God. This is the attitude of Hannah and the attitude of many a godly mother even today. Godly mothers want children who will accept godly instruction. In the book of Proverbs, Solomon particularly is writing as to a son, but he's writing on behalf of really all parents, I think, at times. Proverbs 1 and verse 8, he says, My son, hear the instruction of your father, and do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. Godly mothers instruct their children in godliness, in what God wants, in how to be close to God. And what children need to learn, even we who are grown children who receive that kind of instruction. I've said this several times from the pulpit. I know a lot that I know about the Bible because of my mom. I knew the Bible stories that we're studying now in the early part of the Old Testament. You know, now we're in the conquest and settling of the land. I knew those stories before I could read. Because my mom would tell them to us every night. She wanted us to know the ways of God. And what Solomon is saying to us here, if you listen to the law of your mother, it's going to be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. You know, uh, it's really popular nowadays for uh, guys who have a little bit of money, they want to wear this gold chain, you know, they think it makes them look good. <laughs> well, here, here's a spiritual gold chain. Makes you look good. Makes you look good. Spiritually speaking. To listen to the law of your mother. Godly mothers want sons and daughters who are not led astray by alcohol or the opposite sex to be like King Lemuel who recorded the words of wisdom of his mother in Proverbs chapter 31. Listen, as Proverbs 31 opens up, the words of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him. What, my son, and what said of my womb, and what said of my vows? Do not give your strength to women, nor your ways to that which destroys kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink lest they drink and forget the law and pervert justice of all the afflicted. Don't give yourself over 
to sinning with the opposite sex just because it's alluring. Don't give yourself over to drinking just because it's what everybody else in the world is doing. These things are instructions from godly mothers. And from here particularly, a godly mother of apparently a good king. These are the kinds of instructions that young people need to take with them in life. A daughter or a son who has a godly mother will be privileged to to be taught that the most important thing about them is not the way they look on the outside, but how they are on the inside. That inner beauty, handsomeness, and strength are far, far more important than anything you'll ever do with the outside of your body. And so Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 9 that women should adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Women professing godliness are mothers professing godliness. They're not only going to exemplify proper dress, modest dress, but they're going to encourage, obviously, their children to do the same because that's what godliness is. Godly moms don't encourage their daughters to dress in ways that attract attention from a sexual standpoint. They're not going to do that. Godly mothers will discourage that. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, do not let your adornment be merely outward. Same thing, not outside. Arranging the hair, wearing gold, putting on fine apparel. And here again, it's a matter of emphasis. Peter's not saying, Paul's not saying you can never dress in nice clothes. He's saying that's not where the emphasis is. That's not what's important. True beauty is inside out. Rather, the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. Godly mothers want their children to accept godly instruction from them and from others. Godly mothers want children who seek God and walk in His truth. We've talked some about the royal family of ancient Judah. In a later time, Second Chronicles chapter 34 and verse 1, another king came to reign in Judah by the name of Josiah. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. Second Chronicles 34 and verse 1 says, verse 2 says, He did what was right in the sight of the Lord, walked in the ways of his father David, He did not turn to the right hand or the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, he would have been 16 years old. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the the God of his father David. And in the twelfth year of his reign, he'd have been 20 years old, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images. So unlike the sons of Athaliah, rather than setting up the Baals, rather than encouraging idolatry and paganism of the people. What Josiah does is he tears it all down and he gets rid of it. Here's the kind of child that any godly woman would want. A child who's going to grow and love God 
and make a difference in this world for truth and righteousness. And take, take a strong stand against that which is wrong. Not only not participate in it, but tear it down. There's the child a godly woman wants. A Josiah. Someone who trusts God and trusts God implicitly and completely to help him do the things that are right that need to be done. As Paul says about his own work in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5, it's not that we are sufficient of ourselves. No godly person, no really godly person who understands himself to be living in the grace of God thinks that he or she is completely sufficient to do what God wants them to do. That is not the case. It's not that we are sufficient in ourselves or to think that anything of ourselves, but he says our sufficiency is from God. It is God who makes the godly godly. It is God who empowers them to make a difference in this world. Godly mothers would love for their children to know and understand that God who will empower and strengthen them in this life. A godly mother wants children who know and love God. Because, and here we're going to get to the punchline of our lesson in just a minute. Because this is eternal life. That they know God. And His Son, Jesus Christ. And there it is, isn't it? Godly mothers want their children to go to heaven. And they want to be in heaven with them. Godly mothers understand that not everybody's going to heaven. I think as long as I live, as long as I have my memory, I will never forget when we lived in Gadsden, Alabama so long ago, Eastside was supporting me. We were just, Sandy and I, just starting our family. We had some close friends in the church. The woman had not been as faithful as she should in her attendance in some other ways, although she was a very godly person and is today. We went and talked to her one time and we're talking about her and she had a son that was the same age as our son. And she said, she said, if Aaron dies, what's going to happen to him right now? I said, well, He's a child. Jesus said, let the little children come unto me for such is the kingdom of heaven. He'll, he'll go right to heaven. She said, what's going to happen to me? She said, I really want to be with him in heaven. And she broke down and she cried and cried and cried. Because she wanted to go to heaven with her son. And I think all godly mothers do. The first and great commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And that's the commandment that has to be kept to go to heaven. 
In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, the Apostle Paul writes to all of us as Christians, If you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ is sitting on the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. That's what we want, to appear with Christ in glory. But to do that, we have to set our minds, our hearts, our whole lives on things above, on heavenly things, to live a godly life, a God-centered life. My dad, and I, I talk about him a lot in sermons too, those who have heard me preach a lot. My dad was a godly man. He served in, as an elder in the church for a while. Um, but he wasn't always a godly man. He was raised like a lot of young people are, going to a local country church. You know, he learned the truth at a young age. But he kind of walked away from it a little bit for a while in his life. There was a time as a young man, though, that he was by his mother's bedside and she was dying. And she said to him this one thing. She said, promise me this, that you'll see me in heaven. And he promised her, I'll do everything I can do to be right with God so I can see you in heaven. He didn't talk about that much, but two or three times I remember in life, he talked about a promise he made to his mom. Because that's what she wanted on her deathbed. And of course, that's what he wanted eventually, and what he wanted for us as well. Mothers feel toward their children, I think, as Paul felt toward the Thessalonians, who were his children in Christ, so to speak. He says in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 19, What is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are our glory and joy. We want to see people that we have influence over in heaven. And we have no greater influence than the influence we have over our children, especially a mother over her children. And godly mothers want to see their children in heaven. One mother wrote, and I quote, My daily prayer is for our children to have a heart for their heavenly Father, to value His love as more precious than earthly treasures, to keep their hearts tender, open to encouragement, exhortation, and edification, to listen, to seek, to draw near to God with their whole being, to know that He is God, and to live, up, live in His presence, singing His praises. This is my daily prayer. This is my daily prayer. The prayer of many parents and of godly mothers all over the world. So one thing I know about you this morning, <clears throat> even if I don't know your name, even if you're just visiting here for the first time, I know you had a mother. You may still have a mother. And I can say this without fear of any contradiction from the truth. If your mother has gone on, no matter where she is right now, she wants you to go to heaven. 
If your mother is still here and she's godly, she wants you to go to heaven. But you know what? That's what God wants too. And He gave His Son to make it happen. Let your father and your mother be glad and let her who bore you rejoice. You want to give a gift to your mom? You want to give a gift to God? Give yourself. Give yourself to the Lord. Am I talking to somebody this morning who needs to do that, who's never named the name of Jesus and given their life to Him? The Bible tells us that if we'll confess Him as Lord, be baptized into His name for the remission of our sins as we turn away from the world of sin, that we can be a child of our Heavenly Father and have a hope of heaven. That's what He's offering you this morning. We'd ask you to come while we stand and while we sing.